Let's clap to the Lord this morning. Can we do that? Amen. You can be seated. Man, what incredible worship already this morning. I hope uh, God just continues to speak to your heart and whatever, whatever you're experiencing. But I want you to know, these are exciting days at Eagles View Church. Amen? These truly are just some exciting times for us as, as God is, is moving uh, in this place. I want to let you know that we had one of our mission trips leave uh, just this past Friday. It was a smaller team. This is our team that went. This is Pastor Bart, and uh, you'll recognize him over there. Yeah, you can clap for him. That's good. I'll let him know you did that, brother. I will let you, and you'll see Pete. Pete is Mr. Mission Trip this year. He's gone to Honduras with me. He's now gone to, uh, to Canada with Bart. And then this is Kevin and Ryan Cheshire, and uh, we are so excited to have them as a part of EVC. And Ryan is considering spending three years in Quebec City and uh, allowing us to just pour into him and continue to see God do incredible work through Ryan. And so this team is up in Quebec City right now, and they are in that area. And uh, what they are doing this week, they're doing some construction projects, but even more important than that, they are meeting some church planters and uh, the opportunity for us to continue to invest in church planting in Montreal. And we're excited about that. Amen, EVC? Chad Vandiver, should we be excited about that? Where's Chad? I saw him somewhere there. Wait, there he is. All right. So, and if you don't know Chad, Chad uh, works with our convention to be able to, to do this process in Canada. And Chad and, and Shelly have been a part of EVC and went and lived in Montreal for a while and are now back with us. And so we have this great inroads through Chad. But I tell you what, God is doing some incredible things in our whole church planning ministry. Bart's gonna share a little bit more about that with you next week, just some, some exciting things that are happening with that. So you pray for this team as they're, uh, as they're there in Canada this week and they'll be back towards the end of this week. And then two weeks ago, I wanna go to the next picture. This is the Ewings family that we are building the home for. Uh, the, the veteran, the disabled veteran family. So this is Terrence. I'm sorry, we could not uh, crop out that picture of that guy on the far right. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. It's the only picture I was given for this. But this is Terrence and Misty, and uh, we are so excited. That's the Ewings family. And then that is Bruce and Ivory on that picture as well. And so just a few weeks, Lord willing, as we get the permit from the city of Fort Worth, that house will be being constructed being constructed, and there'll be several opportunities for us to get connected with that. I think that is incredibly exciting that as God has brought us to this new place and new place of ministry, that we are able to build a home for someone else, that they, this disabled veteran family couple, uh, that both of them are disabled, uh, they are going to be getting this home mortgage-free. Is that not exciting to be a part of? It is. And God is continuing to grow us. You may not realize it because this room is so much larger than our other room, but through the summer, we have grown by between 20 and 25% since we've moved in for 11 weeks now. And that's exciting. <clears throat> and as we do that, we told you that we are gonna make you aware as what future opportunities are going to be. And so this morning, we're unveiling what that's going to be or what we are praying about as we do that. August the 13th, we will have a third service once again, but we're going to do something different. As I spoke to, uh, to uh, Mr. Ross this morning, as we were talking about this, I shared this with him and he said, well, that's a little different and EVC is a little different, right? 
We have been talking about this for years. Bart and I, as we've talked about this community, being a lake community, talking about active families and, and young families. And we are going to, Lord willing, August the 13th, begin a 5 p.m. Sunday evening service. We're very excited about this. This is something that we've been talking about for quite some time. But we cannot do this without your help. And so today we want to share that with you, both in a lake community where people can be gone some of the weekend and come back and be ready for school and going into the, the work week. We have tons of baseball families. And by the way, guys, I'm getting a little feedback, pulling back just a little bit. Um, but we have a lot of baseball families and sports families that are very active through the weekend, and we're praying that this 5 o'clock time slot will be a good time for them. Our student ministry, our ninth through 12th graders have small groups that meet on Sunday evenings, and we hope this really just boosts that opportunity for them. Our college ministry also meets on Sunday evenings, and so we're praying for a lot of college students. If, you have young fam if you're a young family and you do not want to get your kids up early on a Sunday morning, then maybe this is a service for you. How many of you are not morning people? Raise your hands, all right? There are a few of you here. You're in the early service. What's wrong with you people? All right. But nevertheless, maybe it's a service for you. But here's how you can begin to help us. We believe this. We need 150 people, students and adults, to seed that service, to get everything rolling, get it started. And we need help from you on that. So August the 13th, this afternoon, an email will go out, and it'll have a link for you, and it has one question. Is this a service that you could commit to? And it has an opportunity for you to say yes or no, or you just need more information. So that will go out today, and we'll be doing this over the next two weeks, just letting you know about it, but also trying to get help in the commitments for that. Now, that does a couple of things. One of the things that that does is it frees up space on Sunday morning. By the way, how many of you grew up going to Sunday night church? Okay, there's several of you in here. Okay, this is not like that, okay? <laughs> the reason I say that is because so often Sunday evening services were a different service. This is an identical service to what we do on Sunday morning. So I want you to make sure that you're aware that this is not something you're missing out on if you don't come to Sunday morning and Sunday night. So a 5 p.m. service. But we need your help to know if that's going to be for you or not. So check that email as it comes to you today. Now, some of you are not online. You don't want to do emails. You don't want anything about it. You don't want to do anything on your computer. We have a card, an old-fashioned card that is available right out here at Guest Central, and you can let us know if that is something that you would be willing to commit to, then you can let us know right out here. Can you get excited about that God is growing us here at EVC? Amen. You know, one of the reasons why we wanted to do that is simply this. We, we've created an environment where people have a little space and an opportunity of time to get to know other people as you pass between services. And we don't want to take that away by slamming another early service uh, in on Sunday morning. So that's the reason we're going to this 5 p.m. service. So you continually pray through that process. But these are exciting days. This morning I want to continue in the series of things I wish I'd known. This opportunity for Paul to pour into Timothy and to experience the things, uh, to have Timothy experience the things that he desires for him to know as Paul is on his way out, as Paul is just a few months from being killed by Nero. And so today I want us to look at that, but I want to ask you this question. Have you ever gone down the road and you're driving behind somebody and their vehicle looks like this? Not like that. There you go. Their vehicle looks like that. 
How many of you have driven down, down the road and that is a vehicle that's been in front of you, that, that misaligned vehicle? That's you, okay. How many of you are driving that vehicle? Would you raise your hand, okay? We need serious help for you uh, if that's you. But when you're going down the road and you see a vehicle like this, I mean, it's scary. We were going back to Dallas Baptist University the other day, uh, taking Allison, and Jennifer and Allison were in the car in front of me, and we go past a box truck, or actually it's in front of us, and I mean literally, it is going down the road sideways, and I could tell that Allison was trying to figure out, okay, how do I actually get around this vehicle? It's hard to see and hard to understand how do we get around things that are misaligned, and that happened to me. Now, I grew up on a farm. I know that's hard for some of you to believe. The rest of you are going, no, that's not hard for us to believe at all, that he grew up on a farm. But one particular day, I was 17 years old. I was on a tractor. My father told me that I needed to, uh, we had just cut hay in a particular field, and I needed to clean up the field. So I need to, what we called in Arkansas, brush hog the field. I have discovered in Texas, you call it bush hog the field. Okay, I don't know why there's that difference. But nevertheless, I have a, a, a bush hog behind the tractor, and I am just going around town, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, I'm thinking of a hundred different things. I have ADD anyway, so you can imagine me on a tractor going around a field, okay? I was bored to tears. And so, I see these two trees in front of me, and in my mind, I said, no problem, the brush hog will go right between the trees. It is no problem whatsoever. But I forgot one significant part of the process. This particular tractor, you could set the wheels in, the back wheels, or you could set the wheels out. And I had not paid attention as to what particular tractor or what it actually looked like when I got on the tractor. And so I am tooling between these two trees, and the front makes it beautifully. But the back half of the tractor did not. And I come to a sudden and incredible halt as I come to that. Now, I did not have a seatbelt. I don't know how I stayed on the tractor, to be absolutely honest with you. And when I get off the tractor, here's what I discover. I discover that one tire has gone through is, and is in front of the tree, and the other tire has not gone through is, and is behind the tree. So now I have a tractor wedged in. Now, my friend John Rogers was out on another tractor and I go and get him and ask him to come help me get this out. And he get, comes up and he drives up and he is just dying laughing. He actually has to get off the tractor that he's on and he is dying laughing. He goes, how in the world do you do that? I said, if I knew how I did it, I wouldn't have done it. All right, I don't understand how I did it. I just was misaligned as I went between the trees. Now, as we think about our lives, have you ever been misaligned like that? I mean, you are heading down the road, and before you realize it, you are stuck between two very difficult places in your life. Maybe it is something like that you, something that you're experiencing, and you're stuck between a culture that says this is the way you should live. This is, the, this is what life should look like for you, and you're stuck between that and your own self-centeredness of whatever's going on in your life at that particular moment. We get stuck in places, and Paul is trying to share with Timothy, Timothy, this is how your life needs to be rightly aligned. If you're gonna be going and trucking through this life, Timothy, I don't have very, long, very much longer with you, but if you wanna live your life aligned in the proper way, 
This is how you need to live your life. So I want us to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3, and we're going to see, first of all, how we should not align our lives. Or in other words, what does a life look like with wrong alignment? What is my life? And, and Paul gives a brilliant picture of this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And so as he says this. He said, you should know, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now listen to this. For people will love only themselves and their money. And they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. Okay, for all of our students in here, do you hear that? That is incredibly important. What Paul is saying is, listen, disobedience to parents will just absolutely abound. It will abound because people have no understanding of the way that they should be living their lives and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind that will work their way into vulnerable or into people's homes, and they will win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened down with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, and they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. They won't get away with it for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. What does a life look like that has wrong alignment? Paul gives an incredibly brilliant picture of what this looks like. Now, as you're reading through these, these, this list of things, you may see one or two characteristics that sometimes control your life as well. Maybe you see yourself in a little bit of that. But if your life permeates all of these characteristics, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you don't need to be around this type of people. And you certainly don't need to align your life with these folks. People who live their life with wrong alignment are going to describe their life and see themselves in that passage. And my question is just this, what does the Holy Spirit of God want to say to us in the midst of this? You see, wrong alignment simply means this. It means that we are not properly aligned with what God desires for us. I love to think of it this way. What should a disciple look like? I get to teach a course at Dallas Baptist University, and it's simply called Small Group Disciple Making. And one of the first things I have students do is simply do this. I have them write a paper looking at God's Word and asking this question. What should a disciple look like? Have you ever thought about that question? What are the actual characteristics that should live out themselves in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, what should your life look like? What are the behaviors that you should have? What are the characteristics that you should have? What should flow out of your mouth? What should be the spiritual disciplines that you experience? All of these things can be the things that a disciple should look like. But one of the key parts of that exercise is this. What should a disciple not look like? 
If you're going to determine what a disciple should be, we have to also look at the question, what should we not be like? And this passage, along with several others, I just want to share with you, Romans chapter 1, gives a brilliant depiction of what a disciple should not look like. Galatians chapter 5 does this as well. Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, James 3 and 4. These are passages that give us characteristics that the writers of God's word are trying to get a message to us. And they are simply saying this, listen, if your life looks this way, you are not properly aligned. And the message of God's Spirit wants to be this morning, hey, let's look at these passages. Let's look at these characteristics. And is my life looking like this, or is it looking more and more like Jesus Christ? We have to learn, church, what it means to look and to have the characteristics of our life look like Jesus Christ. That is the point of the Christian life, that every day, we look more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. I asked Kyle to do what's called a word cloud. A word cloud of this passage would look like this. You see, lover of self is in the middle. And the depiction of this passage is simply this. If you put self on the throne of your life, all these characteristics that you read in this passage or that you saw in this passage, they are going to abound in your life. And what's the alternative? If we don't have self in control of our life, there must be someone else. There must be a different standard. There must be something else of which I'm attempting to align my life with rather than the culture, rather than my own pleasures and my own desires. And that's really where I want us to spend most of our time today. And that is simply this question. As Timothy is getting this and receiving this from Paul it is simply this, how do I align my life differently? How do I align my life differently? By the way, I want to just go over something to, to make sure that you understand this. By the way, the, the, uh, the understanding of Janus and Jambres, you're going, who in the world are these people, right? Who is Janus and Jambres? These are the two magicians in Pharaoh's court that come to oppose Moses. And so here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, if you do not align your life properly, you're going to simply live out counterfeit faith. Do you remember what those, what those magicians came and did? Everything that Aaron and Moses did in front of Pharaoh, the magicians came in and they had a counterfeit of that miracle. The first one was they made their rod a snake and they brought in snakes and or they brought in rods and threw them down and they also became snakes. But what did Moses' rod do to the other snakes? Do you remember? It consumed them. And that's the message that Paul is giving to Timothy and to all of us. Listen, you can't go through life continuing to try to gut out the Christian life and just live it based on the fact that that this is what you think a Christian should be like. If you do not align your life with Jesus Christ, if you do not align your life, which is really the, the crux of this message, if you do not align your life with this book, your life is a fake. It's a fraud. You're just like those magicians who acted out their lives and simply provided things that look like 
the real thing, but they really weren't. Again, let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. Number two, how do I align my life differently? This is the important thing. Because as we talked about in our men's group yesterday, the purpose of judgment in our life, by the way, is always to have us right in the center of where God wants us. It's never just to hurt us. It's always to bring us back to the center. And so the question is not, okay, my life looks like these characteristics, so what am I going to do about it? No, it is not to leave us there, but to say, how do I live and align my life differently? So I want us to spend the majority of our time there. So how do I align my life differently? The first thing that Paul says plays right out of what Pastor Bart spoke on last week on loneliness. First of all, we must pick the right role models to surround ourselves with. We need to pick the right people to be on this journey of life with. This past week was my 49th birthday. Yes, it was. 49. I am 49 and now holding very steadily to 49. Uh, we were talking outside, and, and, and I see I, it's like a mile marker. Uh, someone asked me, they said, okay, you have a big milestone coming up. I think they meant the big 5-0, and okay? And so I see that 5-0 coming down the, 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 uh, the road, and it's coming much quicker than I would like for it to come. Now, I don't act like I'm 50, right? No, I don't. <clears throat> yeah. I don't act like I'm 5, right? Is that, okay, no, 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 don't. Don't answer that. Listen to what Paul says. We have to pick the right role models to surround ourselves with. Verse 10, he says, but you, Timothy. Now, that is incredibly important. Just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, whenever we see therefore in Scripture, we ask, what's it there for? Now, here's another key point. Whenever you see a contraction or a, a, a connection word like this, but it's a contrast to something else that's been going on before and what had been going on before. What does a disciple or what does someone who aligns their life in a wrong way, what does their life look like? Paul says, but you, Timothy, should be different. The contrast should be, but you, Timothy, your life should not look like that. But why? He says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith. You know my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That is truth. Everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What kind of persecution are we suffering? Does the world look at us and go, you guys are, are vastly different than me? Does the world seem to push us to the side and want to, to, to push us out when it's trying to squeeze us into its mold? Does it realize that we do not want to go there and do they criticize us as a result of that? Paul says they should be. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Now, initially, Paul appears to kind of be bragging about this. That's not what he's doing. You see, what Paul has done is he has lived his whole life with Timothy. Or Timothy has lived his whole life with Paul. He has walked beside Paul. These things that Paul is talking about. Listen, Timothy, you were with me when I was stoned in Lystra. By the way, Timothy grew up in Lystra. Timothy was probably in the crowd where Paul got stoned in Lystra. Paul wants to, to bring this to mind. Timothy, you have a choice to make. 
You can either live your life like this, and it's going to flow in all of these discussion points that Paul has just talked about. <clears throat> or he says, Timothy, you can follow the path that I've followed. Throughout Paul's writings, he tells people to imitate me. That is not pride. It is not boasting. He's saying, listen, if you need to look at someone's life, I want you to look at my life because I want you to understand something. My life is focused on Jesus Christ. And my life is going to exude the characteristics of Christ. And your life can do the same. If you will allow Christ to rule and reign in your heart, Timothy, you'll see these same things abound in your life. You and I must choose the right people to place in our life, to build relationships, as Pastor Bart talked about last week. We must choose the right people to, to place in our life, to build those relationships with. Yes, you may feel lonely, but as I challenge you at the end of last week's service, it's simply this. If you're one of those folks that feels lonely, then here's my challenge. Reach out to someone else. Reach out and invite other people into your life. Reach out to people that you know should be those kind of role models, the people that you need to build your life with. Almost 24 years ago, Jennifer and I got married. I chose someone, she chose someone in our life as marriage partners that said, we want our faith to walk together for the rest of our lives. My, one of my best friends is here. His name is Alan Huddleston. He came in and surprised me this week for my birthday, and he spent some time with us. I have known Alan since it was 1982. Let me tell you how we got to know each other. We got to know each other through a, what we call an adopt-a-grandparent adopt program. In 1982, I was a freshman in high school, and he was a junior in high school, and we both signed up for this process. And what it did was this. It paired up a young male student in, uh, in high school— with a widowed lady. It was a phenomenal experience for the two of us because I got paired up with a lady named Helen Graham. And she was a blessed saint of God. And I know to the end of her life, she prayed for me. He got matched up with a lady named Lucille Clay. And Lucille prayed for Alan. And these two young men back in 1982 became very quick friends. We went on mission trips together. When we were in high school, we went to Mexico together. We went to Wyoming. We were roommates at that particular point in time. We went to college. We were in college together. And one year we, we spent, we were college roommates. He married a childhood friend of mine. And we went on vacations together as young couples. We raised our kids together to the point that he is Uncle Alan to my kids. And I am Uncle Randy to his kids. We've gone through life together. Why? Because the, he was one of those models of people that God placed in my life, and he's been a lifelong friend like that. We walked through life. We buried parents together. You see, people in your life who are going to be role models for your faith, and some of you are asking this question right now. I know. I don't have anybody like you know what your answer needs to be? I need to be somebody like that to somebody else. You see, the Bible is very clear. He who 
has friends must show himself friendly. Who are you being a role model like that? Who are you living out this life in Christ in this same similar way? And I'm so thankful for Alan, but there are people in this congregation that I could say the very same thing about. Bill and Kay Thomas, I've walked with in life with them. Jerry and Liz Maxwell, Mike Keller, Dustin Bryant, Pete Calloway. We, these are people in my life, so many of my men that I meet with on Saturday morning, so many of, of my life group that I, that I meet with on Wednesday night. Why are these people in my life? Is it because I'm good? No, it's because I need lots of people who will be role models and to whom I can be a role model with because it continually brings me back to my dependence upon Christ and my dependence upon this word of God to allow my life to look and to be an example and to call others to look at my life because this is the thing. If I live with that responsibility, I'll be more mindful when I struggle with my own sin. I'll be more mindful when I think about people are watching my life and what does my life need to look like. We need role models in our life. But the second thing we see in this is we need to allow God's word to do its transforming work. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in this last part of 2 Timothy 3. And it says this, and he says again, verse 14, but you, Timothy, again, he's reinforcing. Anytime you see, but you, it's a contrast. A contrast to what? To Paul's role model in his life? No, it goes back to, again to that first list of 17 things that Paul says, this is what your life will look like if you align yourself with the world, if you align yourself with, with uh, your self-centeredness. But he says, but you, Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things which you have been taught. You know that they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And then this famous passage. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we, uh, when we uh, realize what is wrong with our lives. And it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We must allow God's word to be the transforming center of our life. It means that we take this word and we read it on a regular basis. We don't just set it on a shelf. One of the things I thought about doing for an illustration today was to pull all the Bibles that I have in my house and bring them out here. It would have been a tall stack. It goes above 20 to 25 different Bibles. And my guess is if you go to your homes, you may not have as many as I have, but you have many different Bibles. And my question is how many of them are open on a regular basis? You may have the Bible app. Uh, version on your phone. You may utilize that. That's a great thing for you to do. But the question is, it's, on, it's an app on your phone every day of your life, but how often do you open it and allow God's transforming word to work in our lives? You see, what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, if you're going to live the way that you need to live in this world, you need to have the right people in your life. But Timothy, above all else, you need to base your life 
on this living book. It's what I want to call today God's GPS. It is God's positioning system in our life. Amen? You may love the, your, your GPS. You may love the, the different apps. I have come to love an app on my phone called Waze. Okay, how many of you have discovered it? W-A-Z-E. This is not an advertisement for Waze. I get no kickbacks from the company. But I love Waze. I give it to Jennifer because my wife, my dear wife, can often get lost at different times of her, of her life. And she uses this app because it helps you to know what, where traffic is and it will reroute you. And I am so thankful. I was so upset the other day because... Ways did not tell me that Bonds Ranch Road was closed at 287. And I had to go way out of my way. And I, I nearly threw my phone out the window when that happened. But I did not. But this is not a global positioning system. This is God's positioning system in your life. It is your GPS of life. But how does it work in this way? I've shared some of these things before, but I want to share them with you again. I think it, it, it bears reminding of us. The first way that God's Word guides us is, number one, it guides us to Jesus. Verse 15, we're lifting Jesus up. It says, they have given you, God's Word has given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. The Bible leads you to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. There is not other roads. There are not other ways that get you there. Every way is not the same way. They do not all end up. It is Christ and Christ alone. What God's Word clearly shows us is this. It guides us to Jesus Christ. John 5, 39 says this. You search the Scriptures, Jesus said, because you think they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me. Amen? God's Word does this. It points the road. It is God's positioning system to say it points to Jesus Christ. This is the living Word of God, but it always points to Christ. Some people say, Are you, do you worship Christ or do you worship the Word? And I say, the Word is Christ, and Christ is the living Word, John 1, 1 says. And so this book points me to Jesus Christ. The second thing that it does is it teaches us what is right. God's positioning system in our life, verse 16 says, it is useful to teach us what is true. You and I both know that the world thinks that truth is relative. It is all based upon how you feel. If you don't feel like going to work today, well, just don't go to work today. We don't live our lives that way. We don't live our lives just based on our feeling. I'll be honest with you. There are days of my life and days of my week where I don't feel like getting up and reading God's Word. And that's where spiritual discipline has to kick in. Where I go ahead and I get up and I go to God's Word. And I can tell you, I've not done this perfectly in my life. I've not done this perfectly this week in my life, even getting ready for this message. So I want to be very vulnerable and honest with you. But here's what this word does when we do go to it. It teaches us what's right. And it is not relative. It speaks to us to what truth is. This is what I call capital T truth. I've told you before, I teach a world religion class, and people ask me, how can you teach about other religions? Because I think there are oftentimes little T truth of things that we can learn from other people. But it is not capital T truth. 
There is truth that in other religions that, that there are ways in which we could live our life and live it a little bit better. As, as Buddhism sometimes tells us that we should not have pride in our life. Well, I can take that because it lines up with God's truth, the capital T truth. This truth does not change. And God's word teaches us truth. Psalms 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By obeying your word. God's word teaches us truth. You want to live your life? Line it up with first or second Timothy chapter 3 and look at the characteristics. Does my life look like this? Line it up with Galatians 5. Line it up with Colossians 3. Line it up with James 3 and 4 and says and ask this question, does my look does my life look like this or does it look like God's word says it should look? It not only teaches us what is right, it also number 3, it identifies when we're wrong. This is what you're your other GPS on your phone or on your car sometimes does. When you're going down the road, what does it say to you? Recalculating, all right? You are in the wrong place. And this is what God's Word does. It says you need to recalculate. It identifies when you've taken a wrong step, when you're, step, when you're looking at God's Word. Verse 16 again says it to make us realize what's wrong in our life. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inner thoughts and desires. I cannot come to God's word and read it. And as I look into God's word, I cannot fool myself as to what's really going on in my heart. Because God's word is truth. It exposes when my faith can be a sham. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. It tells us where we're wrong. Now, if God's word left us right here, that would be good enough. But it doesn't. It doesn't leave us in a hopeless place. When we realize a struggle in our life, when we realize a, a, a problem going in on in our heart, it doesn't leave us there. The next thing is it instructs us in how to get back into what's right. Verse 16 again says this, it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. You see, what God's word does when we open our lives to it is that it not only says, hey, this is wrong in your life, but this is what you need to change in order to get back right with me. It is so clear about this. Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27 says, Anyone who listens to my teachings, Jesus says, and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds their house on a solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching. And doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds their house on the sand. And when the rain floods come and winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. God's word redirects our life to where we need to live if we will open our hearts to it. The final thing is this. 
You see, it would be enough if God's word corrects us. But now it does this final thing. It trains us in how to stay right and to live right. God's word doesn't say keep making the same mistakes. Keep walking down the same path. God's word redirects us and then trains us how to live right and to stay right. What does God's word say? Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Joshua 1.8 says this, study this book of instruction completely, continually, sorry. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it and only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. See, God's word wants to train us to do what's right and to stay in the right so that we don't continually make the same mistakes of life. I've lived my life literally in the church. But it is the relationships that I continually have. It is the people that I continually, like yourselves, place my life in front of. It is the relationships and friendships that continually draw me back to living my life based on God's word. Why? Because it's easy? No. Because I can do it on my own? No. Because God's word is the only word of life for us. You see, the world's going to attempt to continually convince us to put it away. It's old-fashioned. It's of a different era. It doesn't relate to today. It's untrue in this way or untrue in that way. But I want to stand and tell you, God's word is true. And it is what we can build our lives on if we want to have success in following Christ. Now, that is not worldly success. Make sure that you understand this is not a health and wealth gospel that I preach today. That I say, you live your life based on God's word and everything's going to go great. No. You're going to go through difficulty. Matter of fact, Paul guarantees it. Those who live their life in Christ will face persecution. So what does he mean? What does Joshua mean that we'll have success? If you align your life up on God's word, you won't be stuck as I was on that tractor between those two trees, between the culture of the world and the selfishness of my own heart. Instead, you will flow in the flow of where God desires for your life to be. And in his view of success, you will be successful. God's word is true. God's word is powerful. And we must live our lives based upon it. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you as your people. We come and we ask of you, Lord, that you would speak clearly, Holy Spirit, to our hearts. We ask that you would do your work. For those today, Father, who don't have a relationship with you, may your word, Lord, lead them clearly to the person of Jesus and to invite him into your, their lives today. 
Father, for those who need friendships, who are lonely today, may your word lead them to role models of faith like Paul, like Timothy. May they become that role model in others' lives. May others be those role models for them. Father, for those who need to commit anew and afresh today, to place your word in the center of their experience. Holy Spirit, would you do your work in us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? We've done this in God's word today. We've seen it clearly from his perspective in his word. Let's worship today, declaring in our worship in this new song that Danny's gonna teach you today. Let's declare the power of God's word.